The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Risk! Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at content from our earlier years, sometimes single stories, sometimes whole episodes. Keep in mind that years ago, people might have worded things differently than they would today. As always, the title of the whole series, Risk, is itself a content warning. This week, an episode that premiered in May of 2011, it's an episode we call Surprise. I was alone and so afraid of telephones and slow long fades. There was no logic, only twists tied up in knots. I took a risk and all at once I'm in the air. Am I falling? Do I care? You see, there was no logic, only twists tied up in knots. Word to your mother, my fine home slices. (laughs) This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories. They never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. That was the amazing Marshall York up top. And this is Junk Culture behind me now. We call today's show Surprise. Stories where people had accidental misfortunes. There are a lot of miswords to choose from, and I took my time with that one. Our first story today comes from our Brown University shows. Uh, This is a Brown University student, Will Rooley, who does a tremendous deal of work in the various comedy groups on campus there, and who was a huge help to us, a, a real collaborator with us in bringing the show to Brown. Here's Will with a story we call A Slight Case of Murder. 
My story uh, is uh, very much about my education. My, after my junior year of high school, I went to a theater intensive at Northwestern University. And um, the intensive was the right word because it was really like the rules were absurd. It was like you, you were there from like 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. in rehearsals and classes every day. And we ran from class to class, literally ran. Like if, if I had one class here and an adjacent building the next class, they would take us on a 10-minute run just around the campus and then back. Um, and you had to wear like black, white, and gray logo-less form-fitting clothing. Because, yeah, it was that thing, yeah. Um, we had to, like, be focused on the art. And there was no jewelry or makeup for girls, and there was no, uh, um, or for guys that I know of. And there was uh, no cell phones. You had to wear a watch at all times. Um, so anyways, I would have kind of dismissed this whole program as something that was just absurd, you know, had the quality of instruction not been so high. Because I just, like, I was in the best shape of my life from all that running, and, like... I was learning so much about acting and about myself, and, um, and my professors were these really talented and really generous people, uh, save for one, and her name was Tracy. And Tracy had this like, big of blonde hair like, all around her, and wore scarves, just, just not just here, just anywhere, <laughs> and like, just seemed to jangle at all times, like wherever she was. And, uh, and she was one of those, like, you know, in one class we learned, oh, today we're learning Stanislavski, or today we're learning, you know, playwrights of Russia, whatever. And Stacy's class, she would be like, okay, today I would like you to breathe out of your asshole, and we're going to press our necks together. And I'm like, okay, Stacy, we'll do that. And, uh, and, and, and Tracy just, like, she... We, you know, we'd do whatever she told us to do for two hours. And one day we came into Tracy's class and she said, Today we are going out to explore movement in nature. And, and so we did that. And uh, we were walking around the Northwestern campus individually. Um, and I was walking by this building called the Opera Dome, which I think is just a domed building where they teach opera. And um, I was walking around in front of it. And right smack in the middle of the sidewalk, just right in front of the stairs up into this building, there was a squirrel. And um, it, was, it was lying on its back and, like, like seizing, like, like in convulsions. Uh, it, was really, it was sad. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, this guy was clearly on his way out. Uh, and there were these two girls uh, about my age from another summer program. There's a lot of summer programs going on. And they were hunched over the squirrel. As I walked over, this is what I heard verbatim. The first girl said, oh, my gosh, we should, like, put it back in the forest. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the second girl said, yeah, or, like, build it a little hut. <laughs> and I was like, you know, like, that's, that's really noble. But uh, I think... Like, he's not doing so hot, you know. And it's really, he's really just going to... It's just going to be, like, ten minutes of just agony and death for him. So we should probably just leave him alone. Or better yet, you know, just, like, put him out of his misery, right? And I'm not, the usual, I'm not usually that guy who, like, makes the decision, like, oh, time to kill that mammal. But, you know, like, it was clear to, like, the small group that had gathered and was just kind of... It was clear that this is what had need to be done. So... So at this moment, when I'm kind of figuring out, okay, what, what should we do now? Tracy walks by. She happens to walk by and sees the squirrel and literally does one of these where she, ah, oh, and backed against a tree. And, 
And I said, hello, Tracy. And, and she was like, Will, have you seen? And I was like, yeah, I saw it. It's bad. And she, <laughs> and she said, someone really needs to send this creature onto its next life. They just need to. And I was like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And, and she said, Will, do you think that you would be courageous enough? And I said, yeah, I guess. Because it had gotten to that point. And no one else was going to do it, you know? And I don't know. But, and she said, are you sure you, you'll be okay? And I was like, yeah, that, that is what I'll be. Thank you. And, and she said, okay, well, just don't be late because we're starting now. And she left. <laughs> and I was like, oh, good, thank you. So I'm left with the, um, the squirrel. And... Uh, I'm trying to decide what to do, and there's a trash can. There's this, like this next to the door. There's this heavy metal. There's not like a like a heavy metal trash can, but there's a trash can there, and it's heavy and made of metal. And um, and uh, I and the nice thing about this trash can that seems convenient, there's the rim around the bottom of it, so that one could that's right, so that one could potentially like sever without, you know, like so you know I'm trying to I'm trying to help him. Right? Trying to make this quick and painless. So, but it's really, it's really heavy. Like, I, I'm having trouble dragging it over. And I see this big, bulky guy walking into the opera dome. Like, I don't know, maybe he's like a bass or something. He's really big. Um, and, uh, and I say, hey, I kind of explained what was going on. You know, I'm trying to kill this. And, she, and, and, he's, and he offered, he said, yeah, sure. So. so he and I dragged over this big can. And I said, okay, now, how do we do this? And this is what he said to me. Caught me off guard. He goes... Well, haven't you ever been hunting before? <laughs> I was like, I, like, I'm from the South, so I've met this kind of person before, but I, like, I didn't expect, like, at Northwestern, like in Illinois, in the Opera Dome, there would be, like, this game hunter guy. And it was also just a confusing statement, because, like, what was my answer? Like, yeah, I always, you know, take my trash can and, oh, a bear! Poof. Like, that's, not, that's, that's how they do it, apparently. If you're going, then that's what you do. Um, but he knew what he was doing, which was good, because I certainly didn't. So, so together we lifted this trash, this really heavy trash can, and we decided on the count of three, we're just going to bring it down, you know, like as quickly and painlessly as we could. So we counted down three, two, and then the timing was like in a movie. The doors of the Opera Dome swung open <laughs> after count two, and this tiny little Asian woman with a Starbucks cup came came out and she said what are you doing <laughs> and holding this trash can I was like ah, we're gonna I'm sorry <laughs> and, she, and we explained as quickly as we could and she said oh that's terrible but that's good here I help you extra weight and she put her Starbucks cup in our trash can and then left <laughs> like thank you ma'am <laughs> So now that we were fully equipped for this task, we, we started the count again from three, two, one, and then we, and then the sequence of sensory events that occurred right there was really, it was unexpected because I looked down right away to see, um, but I, I first felt the disconnect even before I heard it. Um, and then before I saw the squirrel, I smelt the squirrel. And I don't, yeah, I don't really have a good sense of smell, but it was there. Uh, and uh, as soon as I looked down, too, it kind of looked like the, um, like the Wicked Witch of the East, you know, kind of just... And, um, and this really conspicuous just trash can with a squirrel body. 
right in the middle of the through traffic, like pedestrian, you know. And, um, <laughs> and when I looked down, there was already like a puddle forming. Like, oh, it was sad. It was sad. And right, right at its neck. And, but it wasn't like, it, we're not, it wasn't blood. It was like, we're talking like chicken broth, not like tomato soup, if that makes things any better. <laughs> um, be reassured, this was bile. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so anyways, um, my, my big buddy said, oh, I gotta go back to class. I said, okay, sure, yeah, thank you. So he goes into the Opera Dome. And I realized like, I hadn't really considered the next step. So I'm looking at this can, and I'm thinking, a single file line of about like 30, 35, 8-year-olds just starts coming down the sidewalk toward me and my can. And uh, they've all got little like, like paper lunch bags. They're like, they're in their summer program. And I was like, oh, like, fuck. <laughs> And so I, I did, like I, did, like, I stood in front of the track. Like, I just masked it as best I could. But, of course, the first little child to walk by, this little boy, this little, like, brown-haired boy walks by and, like, whipped his head around and goes, What's that? And, like, all the kids, this is what I heard one by one, just like, What's that? Is that a squirrel? Is that squirrel dead? Did you kill that squirrel? And I was like, Keep moving, kids. Like, Ugh. Uh, and the like after like the four years it took them to process by me like just this like parade of crushed childhoods <laughs> I just I watched them get traumatized one by one you, and when a child gets traumatized it's in their eyes you can see it um, in any case after they all left I was like okay something must be done here so I kind of polled the audience that had gathered there. Um, and I was like, does anybody have a phone with internet? And they, we called animal control and got somebody there. And, and like I, I, did, I, I, took a, I had to move the squirrel before they came off the sidewalk. So I like took a CVS bag from the trash and did like the poop scoop move, you know? <laughs> Just got a little bit of chicken broth, but uh, you know. And <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then I had to get back to class. So I ran back and luckily didn't have to run too far because... Uh, my class was meeting right outside behind the Opera Dome. So I joined this circle of students and, and Tracy standing in the grass. And, um, and I'm, I get back and I'm like, I'm th- all I can think about is this, like, this convulsing squirrel. And I realize like, oh, I've got to come up with like a movement from nature to share with the group. <laughs> like what? <laughs> and as I'm thinking on this, Stacy kind of like chimes in to begin our, our meeting, right? And she's like, before we commence this session, um, there has been a tragedy that occurred today. And everyone is looking around like, oh my God, like who, something burned down. Like what happened? And, and Stacy says, Will Ruley was brave enough to murder a being that was on this campus. And everyone looked at me like... And I was just like, I don't know, I have no idea what... And she only confused them further by saying, you may say that a squirrel is just a squirrel, but I say a life is a life, and we are going to honor the life that has been lost. And she bowed her head, and we bowed our heads, right? Like, and I want to remind you that one of the stipulations of this program is that we had to wear a watch at all times. So the moment of silence that ensued, I know exactly how long this moment was. And it was three minutes. 
which for those of you who don't remember is 180 seconds, a considerable amount of time. And about 20 seconds in, Stacy just, lo- just starts bawling. She's just <laughs> shoulders heaving, just t- tears rolling down her cheeks. And people don't know that'll laugh or what. And it's just like the circle of all black dressed students and Northwestern students walking by watching us. We're having a moment for the squirrel when from the top of the Opera Dome, just spills out this beautiful baritone aria, just this and I, I'm, I'm like sitting there paying homage, right? And I think like, wait a second, could it be, could it be that this is like my hunter friend like paying tribute to the squirrel's life? And it was the most surreal experience I've ever had. Thank you so much! Talking about a woman named Tracy, who was also sometimes called Stacy. This is Super Buzz behind me now, and one of my favorite things to say on the show is, here's something we've never tried before. Uh, we had two separate stories that came into us from two hilarious people, Gabe Liebman and Kathy Salerno, and we noticed that uh, there were some parallels between them, so uh, we're going to present them together. Uh, This is a story we call Toot Toot. So I used to be in a big online dater and I learned through online dating that I have very, very low self-esteem. I used to sort of panic before dates. So I feel like I was kind of a late bloomer in the sense that I went many years in my life without uh, dating or having a boyfriend. For many years I wondered like, oh, is it ever going to happen? I'd only had sex twice in my entire life. There was this one first date um, that I went on with a guy who I'd met through J-Date. I was getting ready, and I thought I should, you know, try and look smart. So I pulled up his profile, and I started, like, studying it. And I just got really psyched out by what I saw. And, you know, profiles are... Never true. They're not accurate. It's like what that person would be willing to publish about themselves, you know. And like if you check my Facebook profile, you know, it says I like books, but I don't like books. I was looking at his pictures and they were just like really flattering. And I was like thinking, you know, I'm just going to show up and he's going to barf, and I'm going to have to say sorry, and that's going to be the whole date. He just seemed, like, way out of my league. But, you know, they were obviously very flattering. A friend of a friend introduced me to this guy. I'll just call him John, because I don't want to use his real name. He ended up asking me out. But he was really quiet and really nice and nervous-seeming on our date. So I was like, 
oh, I love all of this because I'm so freaked out and so nervous, but he's so clearly nervous. There was this one night, I we were about two or three months into the relationship when I kind of knew something was going to happen that night. Like, I was like, I, you know, we've been making out for a while. I want to have sex. Like, I want to do this, even though it was still a huge struggle for me because I felt like I had these issues with my body, feeling like I was fat and like I'd gained weight, like I'd gained like 50 pounds. So I was like, um, I'm not so I don't want to be naked with someone, but I re- finally felt like I really trust this guy. So, so this one night, I knew like we would probably cook dinner and then like we would probably have sex and then we would just hang out and and he would sleep over. It was at my house. Um, so he brought over some tofu and some vegetables. Like he brought over green peppers and I think there were like uh, green beans. There were a lot of greens and we were, we had like such a nice time like chopping. <laughs> the vegetables and stuff. So we ended up having this really nice dinner and it was so nice. I feel so comfortable with him. I know this is going to happen. I'm okay with it. I'm actually excited. Um, I can stop panicking about it. I've been overweight my whole life. I was a real fat kid and I've lost a lot of it. So I'm not, you know, on the same scale of fat that I used to be, but I'll never, I don't feel like I have a great body. You know, just go on a diet and then no one will ever be out of your league again. So I, you know, like walked outside, like all confident on my new diet. And I was just strolling down the street thinking to myself, shit, um, you know, I'm on the way to my date now. Like I'm going to have to eat like so healthy to be skinny by the end of dinner. So I get to the date. We decided to go to this place uh, mama's in the East Village, which is like so delicious, but it's soul food, like comforty, just a crazy place to start a diet. But I had like promised <laughs> the air or whatever. So it was my turn to order. And I was like, um, yes, that's how skinny people order. I think they're like, yes, I would like this one thing. Um, and fat people are like, I want the whole side of the menu. But so I was like being skinny. So I was like, yes, I would like the roasted Brussels sprouts, please. And a side of broccoli. And he like ordered a smoked beef ass or whatever normal people would have gotten there. So we went back to his place and he had a like a mattress on the floor, but lived in Manhattan. So he was still kind of beating me. We started to, like, you know, entertain each other, as they say. Or they're going to say that soon. Um, And everything was going great, except for at that point, I was holding in probably, like, between 55 and 60 farts. Like, big, you know, not like little, like, oopsies, I swallowed wrong farts or whatever that everyone gets. Like, these are, like, big fucking veggie farts just made of steel cables you know with so much info to share and they were all like queued up some of them were trying to like jamiroquai their way out without me noticing and i was like no you don't so i we adjourned to the bedroom things were progressing uh and at a certain point we were both completely naked but i knew i started to feel like okay something's wrong like there's something going on in your stomach like a, it felt like a tight 
ball. And I know this feeling. It's like when I have to fart. And he was like, I'm going to turn you over now and we're going to do it from behind. And I was like, "Uh oh, this is the worst way that it could happen. (laughs) And so he did it and I allowed it to happen and I'm going with it. And I'm just, I just know I can feel the knot in my stomach. And I thought at any moment, I'm just going to fart on him and it will be awful. At the time, I didn't know about that trick where you can just, you know, grab your ass cheeks and spread them apart and fart and it doesn't make any noise. And then you can just be like, your apartment's windy, um, but goodbye forever. Anyway, bye. So I thought, oh, I have to hold all these in. Um, And it was so painful, but I just like, we went about our thing. So it was going, you know, fine, but obviously I was a little inhibited. So I wasn't being, like, incredibly sexy, but I was trying my best. I mean, you can still kiss, you know, if you, even if your ass is, like, full of balloons. And dick stuff, obviously, you know. But it, it, we had, you know, there was an end point in my head from the first second. Like, well, it can't get to butts. Um, or else, you know, I'm going to hurt him. So I said to him, I'm sorry, I think it was the dinner. I know I have to fart. I'm really sorry. There's nothing else I can say. I know it's really unsexy. I'm just going to run and fart. And he said, it's cool. It's totally cool. So I was so thrilled and like excited. And I was like, oh, we now both know it's in there and I can just get rid of it. And it's fine. And then we can go back to this. So I left my room and closed the door. And I'm standing outside of my door completely naked. And the bathroom is to my right very steps away. And I thought, well, I don't need to go to the bathroom. That's overkill. Like I can just stand outside this door and it'll, it's not going to be, I mean, there's a door between us. It'll be fine. I even bent over because I was like, if I bend over, I'll expedite the fart. Like it'll be quicker. And it might even be quiet, like super quiet. Because if I'm bending over, it's like, there's no friction. So I, I'm like crouched on the floor, like a Neanderthal, like trying to work this fart out. And it was so loud, so loud and so long. I was thinking as it was going on, no, that's so much louder, unbelievably loud and so long that I was stressed out during it. Like that, that that I could discuss the fart as having a period of time that I could be doing something else during it. Afterwards, we were laying there just like sort of, drifting off into slumberland all adorable and i was like you did it you know you didn't fart good for you as soon as my body relaxed just a little bit i was still awake like all 60 farts just came out as one huge fart it sounded like a scream and he like woke up and we both obviously knew exactly what had happened because like the sheets were on the ceiling and Every window was broken and the cars out front were on their side. And he was just like staring at me, you know. So I was like, I should say something. So I, out loud, I was like, you know, did you say something? Um, (laughs) And he just like basically said no. Uh, And he was still staring at me. So I was like, "Um, isn't it weird that we have to use our butts? Which I think is... a smart thing that I said, but he didn't think it was smart at all. Um, and he just didn't answer. And then we actually never talked again after that. So it stopped and I just couldn't believe it. Like I was just standing there in shock, 
knowing he had heard it, I thought, well, we're going to stop having sex. I mean, how can you... How can you take that back into your bedroom and be like, well, I will have sex with this woman now? And it was all my fears crystallized. And this perfect night, it was like, no, it's all ruined, Kathy. You can't, you can't have this. Like, something was going to go wrong. So I opened the door, and he was on the bed, and he was laughing hysterically, like doubled over. Like, he was naked, and he was just rolling around on the bed laughing. And he, the first thing he said was, why would you not just go into the bathroom? <laughs> which I was so happy. (laughs) You know, looking back, I actually think that's one of the smartest things I've ever said because, yes, the answer is yes. It's so weird that we have to use our butts. Butts are funny and full of surprises, but they're not, like, I don't know, romantic. Like, as a gay guy, like, your number one tool for romance is your butt, and it's, like, a nightmare, like... It's like, come and get it. Oh, but not right now. I'll call you. I have to, like, sit on a hose, I guess. Like, all my friends are girls, and they're just, like, always talking to me about their pussies. And, like, you'll never believe what happened. Or, like, it's always, like, a surprising story. And on the surface, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, oh, my God, I'm so sorry for you. Or, you know, that's so complicated. But in the back of my mind, obviously, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, what if your pussy filled up with shit every day? Like, mine does. Like, that's fucking complicated, and no one wants to talk about it. If that part was going to happen, that was the best way that it could have been dealt with. It was There was nothing better. It put me at ease immediately. I was so happy. I would never think that I would be happy to have just farted in an epic manner, in, like, a disgusting manner. But it really, I like, to see his face, like, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> but it was just so nice. I still was who I was. And I didn't have to bring all that to it. I didn't have to bring all these fears about this fart means something about you. This is just the period in a sentence about how disgusting you are as a person. But it was just something else that brought us closer and made me realize, hey, look at this situation again. This is someone who really likes you. A fart was not going to turn him away. If anything, it just kind of brought us closer together. So we ended up continuing to have sex, which was great. (laughs) And then it was funny because later on that night, I brought it up to him like, oh, that was awful. Like, I don't think you realize. And he said, well, that's why I like you so much. And that's why I love you. And we had never, we hadn't said that yet to each other. So that was nice. And so I said, this is why I love you too. It was an unexpected way to end the night, but it was it was just awesome. And I never thought I would say that the time I produced the most high-stakes fart of my life would be also one of the most awesome moments of my life, but it truly was. And I'm happy for the memory because of that. This is Risk. We're hearing the music of Jacob D. Cox right now. His music can be found at jacobdcox.com. 
and Jacob's had great music on the show before. We're going to hear a story now from our Los Angeles live show, the show that we do at UCBLA out there. So here's our dear friend Margot Lightman at our show in Los Angeles with a story we call Fractured Fairy Tale. Um, do any of you guys have an album that you listen to over and over again during a certain period in your life and it sort of is, becomes a symbol of that era? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So when I moved myself into college, I discovered uh, the band's album, The Last Waltz, the live recording. And for those of you unfamiliar with it, you should get a copy right now. It's a live recording of a band called The Band, and it's their farewell concert where they have every 70s rock icon come and play amazing songs together. It's amazing. And I listened to it over and over again as I was unpacking my dorm room, and every time I was like, how can songs that were recorded live sound so perfect? It boggled my mind. And then I would go and decorate my dorm room with various pictures of flowy-haired women that vaguely resembled me and would get back to work. So um, I just thought it was perfect. So then I started school, and that was less than perfect when I started college, because by accident, I was put into remedial math, um, because they claimed I flunked an entrance exam, but I didn't. It was like a clerical error. And so I had to go, I swear. (laughs) So I had to go to this remedial math class on the first day, and I walk in, and I look around, and I'm like, how am I going to ditch these fucking morons? And so I sit down to the guy that looks the, next to the guy that looks the least stupid, and he tells me that his name is Jack, and he has a boring face but a really sexy voice. And we're paired off to like draw a triangle or something moronic like that. And then afterwards, both of us are like, we are too smart for this class. And he's like, I'm in it by accident too. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. So uh, we, we go to the registrar's office and we test out of it and we, and we get out of the class. And so both of us had this moment, you know, when you first get to college and you really need friends. So, uh, so he, he and I are like, you know what? Now that we, our time is freed up at this time period, why don't we get together every Monday and Wednesday from two to four and and talk and 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 that's how my friendship with Jack began so every monday and wednesday from 2 to 4 p.m. i would go to his dorm room and we would have those long deep talks about their, our purpose in the universe that could only truly happen in a dorm room in Ithaca, New York. Do you know what I mean? So this went on for a while, and about five weeks into it, I kind of, like, there was an elephant in the room, and that was that the walls were bare, and all there, there was was just one picture of a terrifying lion on the wall. And so finally I asked Jack, I said, you know, what's up with the lion poster? And he goes, oh, that? That's because... I'm the lion. And so I went, yeah, yeah, you are. Kind of like I'm the fairy. And he was like, exactly. So that's sort of what our friendship was like. So we, ha- you know, we hung out, we talked, we talked about our place in the universe, where do we belong, we had coffee for seven hours once. Like He and I had a very, very deep connection. So cut to senior year, towards the end of my senior year, and I have spent four years of college, I'm not kidding, studying modern dance and dancing in a field, and I'm like, oh, real life, this is going to be horrible. And, <laughs> and I start freaking out that I have to go to real life because I have not lived real life one second of college. And so I have all this anxiety and I don't know what to do and I go out on a typical Friday night uh, for me in college, which was going to see a lesbian folk singer and poetry reading at the coffee house. And the first poet came up and, I kid you not, told a poem that the last line of it was, 
I stuck my dick into a virus. And I was really moved. And then this lesbian folk singer came on and she started singing this song and her voice was piercing and haunting. And it was something to the effect of, I listen to the radio, I wonder where do I belong? Who am I? I'm alone. And I am just like weeping in the co- I'm like, she's singing about me. And I start weeping in the coffee house. And my friend grabs me, she's like, you need to get out of here. You cannot be in public. And the song is not about you. And, uh, but you know, the posters on my wall all look like me. So everything was about me at the time. So I go, so she takes me back home, and this is one of my last Friday nights in college, and she takes me to my apartment, and I just start crying on my bed, crying. I'm like, where do I belong in the world? I'm leaving here, and I don't know where I belong. And my phone rings, and I hear, hey, Margo, it's Jack. And I was like, hi. And he goes, I was just at this party, a keg party, and I'm like, what's my place in the universe? And I was like, oh my God, what's my place in the universe? And he's like, well, what are you doing home? And I'm like, I'm freaking out. And he goes, well, can I come over? So he comes over. And we have this long talk that goes until dawn. We never fall asleep. And that's the first moment that I sort of start thinking of Jack as more than a friend. Probably because time is running out and I'm getting desperate. But really, we'll put it say that. So... So I start thinking of him like that. So the next time I see Jack, I walk up to him. And now maybe there's two weeks left of all of college. And I walk up to him and I go, hey, Jack, listen. What do you say you and I just have a no-strings-attached affair for the last few weeks of college, you know? And then we'll both leave and call it a day and we don't even have to talk again. And he looks at me and he goes, no. (laughs) And then he said, a connection this deep cannot be transported into the sexual, Margo. We have too much of a connection to touch. And I was like, really? Because, like, I'm an okay-looking girl, like, coming, telling you I will fuck you with no strings attached. Okay. Like, you're, uh, you're so-so looking, but okay, great. Like, that, that was a great offer I just made you. But I knew, I was like, you know what? We have a connection. It can't be transported into, he's probably right. So I leave it. And then I make a decision of what I'm going to do with my life after college, which is what everyone does when they don't know what to do, which is they drive cross-country and hope they'll figure it out. So I make a decision that I'm going to drive cross-country and somewhere along the way I will have an awakening. So that's my decision. So on my very, very, very last night of college, I go to my last party, and I'm there, and I walk in, and Jack's there, and he goes, hey, and I go, hey, and he gives me this hug that's a little bit too long, and has a lot of heavy breathing, you know, (laughs) and then he's like, can I talk to you for a second, and we go in the back room, bedroom on the second floor of the house, and we just start, like, hooking up and it is on and like we are hooking up and like my pants are coming on I mean, everything is crazy and then he grabs me and he goes do you want to have one last night with your friends or do you want to get out of here and I'm like I want to get out of here and he's like okay well if we walk through that party we'll have to say goodbye to everybody one by one and we'll never get out of here or and then he opens the window and he punches out the screen door and he jumps and I was like oh, this is how I'm leaving college yes and like so I jump out the window I was like look at me I'm not a modern dancer I'm rock and roll, you know, so I jump out and, uh, and everything's great. And we go back to my house and we have like an eighties movie hookup. Like I'm serious. Like we're walking up the stairs and clothes are coming off. Like Hall and Oates is playing in my head. Is this happening? And everything's great. And then we go to my bedroom and we finally consummate the relationship. And that's how I leave college. And the next day I drive cross country. And that's my last night. And we drive cross country and the whole way there. I write Jack all of these letters about the beginnings of my awakenings. I mean, there's email at the time, but I, I choose letters. Um, and 
I tell them all about my major awakening I had in Taos, New Mexico, which is a total cliche, I know, because everyone has an awakening in Taos, New Mexico, but I did too. And then I get all the way to Los Angeles, where I had told him the address of where I'd be staying for the summer, and I expected there to be a mountain of letters waiting for me. But Jack never wrote me back. I, and then I never, I never heard from him ever again. And I let it go. And I moved to New York after that. And I became a comedian. And I sort of started shedding this person that I used to be. And I started being like, like, what's wrong with you? Glitter as makeup. Come on. And, you know, and I start wearing like jeans and Converse and vintage T-shirts and hanging out with all comedians. And I start wearing like dresses or pants, but not both at the same time. And I, I make major changes in my life. And I start like, I put my flowy dresses into storage and I stop having like my, like my deep thoughts anymore. And, and I get in a relationship and I'm focused very much on work and I'm in this really long relationship. Six years later, I'm at a party, and I hear in a soft-spoken voice, Margo, and I turn around, and it's Jack, and he goes, oh my God, there you are. I've been thinking of you for six years. I can't stop thinking of you, and I was like, wow, there's Google. Like, I have a website. Very, very attainable person to get to, but okay, um, and, and he was like, wow, wow. And then he says, my last image of you is you standing in a field in a purple flowy dress with a flower in your hair, and you just looked so happy. And I kind of take a moment, and I look down at my jeans, my Converse, my T-shirt, and I'm like, oh, my God, I am completely unhappy right now. And fine, like maybe who I was was a cheesy person and every college cliche in the book, but I was a genuinely happy person when I was that person. So so what? I was happy. And then I was like, oh my God, maybe maybe I'm supposed to be with Jack. And like maybe I was always supposed to be with Jack. I better just uh, like very irrationally end this three-year relationship I'm in immediately and go be with... So like we exchange information and I'm not kidding. Like two days later, I end a three-year relationship because I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> I have Jack. I won't have to process this. It's fine. Jack Sweetie, And I take my flowy dresses out of storage, and I, that's how I begin to cope. And I start wearing dresses over pants. It's great. Everything's great. And, um, and Jack and I begin this telephone affair. And then he, he comes to visit me, and he walks in the door, and he's like, hey, I just popped a bunch of pills. You want some? And I was like, no, I wanted to kind of be present for our time together, but okay. And then we sit down, and I was like, so what exactly are you up to? He's like, well, after I rode my mo- motorcycle to Colorado, of course you did. Uh, I started a meditation business, and I was like, isn't that a kind of an oxymoron, meditation business? And then um, we went for a walk in the rain, and he refused to use an umbrella because, in his words, I can handle it. And I was like, oh. And then... Uh, we hooked up a little bit and there was virtually no chemistry at all and then when he left I was like oh god I'm probably never going to see him again for real this time and then a couple weeks later a friend of mine went to a wedding and she bumped into Jack and he said to her hey are you friends with Margo because she's like stalking me and I'm like whatever you're just some chick I hooked up with in college and I was like no 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 lion (laughs) 
then suddenly, like, everything became abundantly clear. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. There was never any connection. There was never any connection. He's a messenger. He's a goddamn fucking... I almost fucked the messenger. Like, what am I doing? Like, and it's a wonderful life when that angel comes down and shows George Bailey, like, just how important his life... But George Bailey doesn't fuck the angel. I almost fucked the angel. What the hell is wrong? We never had a connection. We nothing, nothing really majorly happened. I mean, you know that night, that big night between us? He was so drunk. Almost nothing happened between us physically. Nothing ever really happened. It was all in my head and I was so angry and then a few weeks later I read a book about the behind the scenes making of The Last Waltz written by the drummer and one of the last lines of the book he says half the songs were re-recorded on sound stages after the fact nothing could ever sound that perfect thank you I walk with the rains in the dead of dark plight, a blackness inside, a space that needs to be filled, I know what I need tonight, a cookie, a very special cookie, taxi, hey good evening, how you doing, call the 13th second avenue please, well look at you, you're going to Lady Gaga's funeral or something, no actually I'm going to a boutique bakery because I can cook it, your freaking cape has caught my door, can you just hurry please, fine fine hold on, all right, we're here. Here, keep the change. Thanks. Uh, can you take all these freaking crows or whatever these birds are you got in here with you? Jesus Christ. Beelzebub, Clytemnestra, Zoltanian, Scarlet, Epiphany, Lestat, Raven. Inside this place where all my sadness dies, I buy the cookie then almost outside. I feel the urge to use the public blue. I need to take a poo. I lock myself inside a mall About to sit atop my sparkling throne I balance my purchase and unzip and sit Oh no, a slip That was David Crabb keeping up with the theme of surprises, accidents, and actually most of that song is a true story. I don't know about Clytemnestra and uh, D'Artagnan, but uh, that but is based on a true incident. We have one more story today. It comes to us from the hilarious Mr. Brett Gelman. We call this one The Blind Side. Anybody ever uh, be hit by a car? 
It's a very strange experience. Because it's one of those experiences that you don't think will ever happen to you. It's like, no, it's easy to avoid, you know? It's like getting shot. It's like, probably not going to happen. Get hit by a car? I know how to stay out of the fucking street, you know? And most drivers know how to stay off of the sidewalk. So I'm in high school, and I'm at the tail end of my bus riding days, right before I get my license, right before I turn 16. And the bus is the reason that whenever I enter into a social situation, I have a full-on anxiety attack in my adult life. There is nothing more hellish for a sensitive child, or in this case, sensitive adolescent, than the fucking school bus. And just from the get-go, just mean. Junior high... You know, I mean, in elementary school, you're kind of dumb. You're not noticing really anything. Uh, the mean and the nice kind of blends into each other. But in junior high, that's really when you start to notice hardcore meanness. When kids really start to experiment with, I'm going to be evil. <laughs> it started right away. You know, in sixth grade, I was Elvis for Halloween. And I had the horrible, horrible misfortune of deciding to wear my hair back. And no matter how long it got, I wore it back. So it was kind of like a pompadour Jufro. It was so fucking ugly. Plus, I have like a big head. So, and you know, I, I, I was kind of fat, but not in the right ways, you know? It was, I was unattractive. So I'm like, yeah, I'll be Elvis. And then I got on the bus, and people were like, Elvis! Which now, if you were like, it, now if somebody said I look like Elvis Presley, I'd be like, oh, thank you, that's great. Young Elvis, not, not old Elvis. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. But back then, you know, just in the way that they said, I think they could have been like, God, and I would have, oh no, oh, oh, the tone in your voice, it's terrible. So the bus from then on was hell, leading all, and school was hell. I just was, I was an alienated person. I was not like the other kids. I was not into sports. I was into the Marx Brothers and whatnot. And uh, the, the Farts Brothers, what? The, you know? Uh, so I just was constantly made fun of and, and uh, I was so alienated and, 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 I, and I wasn't like one of these cool outcasts I was like fuck you man yeah I'm an island you know I was like like me like me I'll do anything I'll do anything like me like called kids up like multiple times to try and have plans with them and they'd lie to me and I'd call them up to make sure that like they still couldn't have plans you know I was a real doormat. It was so bad that, like, at lunch one day, I remember all these kids. It was a muddy, like, kind of misty day, and just in the field in our, uh, in our not playground, but you know, the school field was so muddy, and they all ganged up on me and tackled me and were like spitting on me and laughing, and I kind of made a production out of it, you know, and deluded myself into thinking that I was enjoying that. 
That's how, how fucked up I was. So it was terrible. No, I'm cool now. I'm great. Got a great life. No. Those guys, they have boring lives. They're waiting to fucking die. Uh, maybe not. Don't care. Um, so, yeah, the bus was just terrible. Just constant insults and, you know, afraid that I was going to get beat up. And I, I didn't really get beat up uh, ever. But just the insults were worse. I, I almost would have prepared, uh, prepared. I almost would have preferred a punch to the face. So I'm on the bus with my supposed friends at the time, you know, my couple of friends, which were just like, they were just as mean as everyone else, but they were willing to hang out with me. So I'm on the bus and I get off the bus. I'm walking to the corner to cross the street. And I'm not at the crosswalk. I got, I got the red and there's this truck that is taking a left onto the street that I'm on. You know, it's perpendicular to me. And I look to my left, and I see that the oncoming traffic is far enough away that I can dart in front of it, but close enough that the truck can't make a left. So I'm like, okay, I'm making a run for it. I don't want to wait for this light. I got shit to do. I gotta go watch Animaniacs and eat a whole lot of cheese and bologna. So I run. And, uh, and I cross in front of the truck. And the truck is honking its horn. And I look up at the truck driver and he's going, no, no, waving his hands, no. I'm like, what's he talking about? What's wrong? He's not moving. You know, everything's fine. I didn't take into account the fact that there was another lane of traffic, and that was the lane that was on the side of this truck. And sure enough, right as I pass the truck, a Jeep Cherokee comes out going 35 miles per hour. And it didn't hit me head on. It kind of like the side of the front hit me and I rolled up on the hood and I flew through the air. And then, you know, the, the typical thing happens and it's true. Life becomes slow motion. Everything is black. And I just, I had a while to think in the air. <laughs> I was just like, oh man, am I dead? Am I paralyzed? What is going to happen? Oh my God, this is fucking crazy. I got hit by a car. I'm flying through the air because of a car. Oh my God, what is going to... Oh, I, I'm dead. I'm dead or I'm in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. What is going on? Smack. I hit the ground and suddenly the lights come back on and the car has stopped. And I just look up I'm like, oh, oh, God, oh, God. I was in a lot of pain. But I could move. I guess, you know, my body was so relaxed, i.e. lazy, that it kind of just, like, moved with the motion of rolling up on the hood. It was like, 
you know, like right before I got sent to my mother's universe, uterus, right before I got sent to my mother's uterus, you know, God taught me a crash course in stunt work. And, uh, and so I, I didn't feel like anything was broken, uh, but I didn't know for sure because I was in tremendous pain and I'm screaming. And this woman gets out of the car. She's like in her 40s. You know, and I grew up in kind of an affluent area. And she gets out. And she's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Are you okay? Are you okay? What were you doing? What were you doing? Are you all right? I can't believe you all right. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. She's like, oh, you're okay? Oh, my car. <laughs> and she starts inspecting her car. And I'm like, whoa. That, well, that's awful. But not half as awful as when I looked up at my bus and saw all the kids on the bus laughing at me. That's fine. Stop moaning. I can walk. It's fine. Uh, those kids are losers. Don't feel bad for me. Uh, so I, uh, I, they're all laughing. And, you know, we go up. There's, there was a parking lot right there, and we, we go into this parking lot. And I can walk. I walk into the parking lot. I'm like, oh, God, oh, God. She's like, oh, she's like pissed now. The woman is pissed. Not so much worried for my well-being, but angry that, you know, I fucked up her day by getting in front of her car, you know, like I had a magnet in my jacket that, you know, I purposefully put in there to be like, yeah, I hope I get pulled towards some cars today. Come on, magnet. Work your magic. And, uh, and the cops come. And they're like, what happened here? And I'm like, well, I got hit by a car. And, and I was standing, and I seemed all right. And they're like, really? You got hit by a car? Oh, wow. Well, are you okay? Well, we got to get you an ambulance. I'm like, no, 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 no. No ambulance. I got to call my mom. Typical Jewish kid. My mother's going to make everything all right. Doctors? They don't know shit. Mommy? She'll make it right in like a couple words. And uh, they're like, no, 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 no. We have to get you an ambulance. I'm like, no, no. I am not getting into an ambulance. I'm not. All right? I got to go home. I got to go home and call my mom and she'll take me to the doctor. They're like, really? Kid, we got to put you in an ambulance. You know, we don't feel right about this. I'm like, look. No way. No way. I'm, I'm walking home. I'm walking home. And then the cop is like, okay, well, at least let me drive you home. <laughs> Which is completely irresponsible of the police. That they let a minor talk them into not calling him an ambulance. That's not my call. You know? They should have restrained me and forced me to go to the hospital. What if I had a concussion, right? Uh, so anyway, I get in the cop car, and I'm just like, oh, man. This sucks. No Animaniacs today. No cheese and bologna. X-rays. A whole lot of X-rays. And I just was thinking about that bus and those laughing kids. And I was thinking about that woman. And I was like, wow. Cannot wait. 
cannot wait until this bullshit party, a.k.a. my childhood, is done. And we pulled up to my house, and the cop said, you, you, you're going to be okay? I'm like, yes. He's like... And I'm like, thank you. Thank you for driving me home and not calling me an ambulance. <laughs> so that's fine. That's fine. And just so you know, I'm not going to give you a ticket for jaywalking. Thank you. Thank you so much, officer. And that night, I went to the doctor, and afterwards... I listened to Fuck the Police by NWA. <laughs> Thank you very much. Magazines, she read them aloud. The lives of strangers. There was an echo on the line, voice from the throne, driven from the world. A couple years ago, I tried not to care. The lives of strangers. Oh. Folks, 
Today is the day. Take a risk.